Hey there, it's Nick. Thank you to everyone who called in sharing their story of family lore. There's still time to contribute to that episode, so if your family has been passing down a story for generations, you can leave a voice note at secretshotline.org or by calling 929-SECRETS. And if you have a cousin or other family member who has a version of the same story, even better, have them call in too. Again, it's secretshotline.org or 929-SECRETS. Let's start the show. Hi. Um, oh my gosh, dropped my phone. <clears throat> Hello. Um, I've known this for a few months now, but I haven't said it out loud to anybody. And it's so stupid because I'm alone in my apartment. I bet everyone around me is even at work. I doubt anyone can even hear me. And even if they could, none of them know me well enough to know why this is a secret or a big deal. But that's how weird and insecure I feel about it. My secret is that I started seeing someone a few months ago, which is not a long time. And only about two months in, they said that they loved me. They said, I love you to me. (laughs) And I immediately shot the bat. I immediately deflected it, said, you don't really know me can't know somebody long enough to think that you love them after two months which is true and I was kind of annoyed I was like do you even know what my last name is like (laughs) um don't think he did think he deflected from that and it's annoying how particularly men I feel like think that they can know a woman so quickly when it's like I think it takes a while you know a good like six months to a year-ish to really know somebody so I deflected him and I shot him down right away and tried to be nice about it you know we're still seeing each other but I was just like you know you don't really know me I think you're just infatuated with me but the truth is that I wanted to say it back and I still want to say it back but I'm not going to I feel like I know I'm not just infatuated I feel like I know the difference and I also feel like not to throw this person under the bus but they are much more simple than I am Um, they're not very complex and they're very open with their communication style and I like that though I love that I love a lot of things about them I don't think I'm in love with them but I do know that I do really love them I just don't know what it makes sense to tell them. And I guess I'm also afraid from being hurt so many times in the past that I'm going to be wrong, that I don't actually know this person, that they're going to surprise me and actually be terrible. So maybe we both just love the ideas of each other. But my secret is that I wanted to say it back. And I still do. I feel kind of bad for making him feel stupid, but I still feel like I did the right thing by drawing that boundary. Anyway, thanks to whoever is listening to this mysterious answering machine. You must have the most interesting job in the country. <laughs> started. Uh, hello. I've been thinking about doing this for a while. Um, the secret I want to share is that I have, um, I have a real habit of faking orgasms. they come here um yeah uh, I have a really bad habit of faking orgasms which is a secret firstly because it gets boys really worked up 
but I don't like to hear that. <laughs> but also, uh, it's not something I like to tell my friends because it's, you know, it's not the modern way. It's not a cool thing to do. It doesn't align with any of our feminist values. And, you know, obviously it doesn't really work in my favour. But I know why I do it. And I do it because it's... <laughs> It's just quite difficult to like unlearn or deprogram the idea that sex, I guess particularly casual sex, shouldn't be just centered around male pleasure. That's what we see growing up, I guess, whether it's in films or porn or to extent even sexual health education at school. It's a couple of pumps from the man and then everyone comes simultaneously and is happy and in love. <laughs> and so it's difficult not to kind of like I don't know, feed into that fantasy a little bit. Because there is a performative aspect of sex and of being the ultimate fantasy that I do find quite hard not to play into, even though it obviously doesn't benefit me. And I know it doesn't technically benefit me, but at the same time, there's this sort of strange sense of satisfaction or even power, maybe. Yes, that I feel sometimes... I think it's the sense that I have the ability to kind of make a man feel really great about themselves, but at the same time, deep down, I know that they've not really done anything. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know, I think it's also the fact that I'm giving them this this power, this idea that, you know, they can make me come really fast or hard or whatever. Um, and with that, I guess, comes this greater sense of, like, intimacy or, I don't know, other things, which sounds really horrible to say out loud, and it's truly, it's not a conscious thing or a deliberately manipulative thing. It's just kind of ingrained. And I guess the other problem is that, you know, sometimes it really takes me a while, and I feel like my orgasm is this burden or something, so if I just, like, fake it, then it's easier. And that's bad, because it shouldn't be a burden, I know that. But it's like knowing and doing different things. Why are so many people all over the globe choosing the Secrets Hotline as their hotline? Find out for yourself by calling 1-929-SECRETS. That's 929-732-7387. Answering service also available at secretshotline.org. My secret is that I was groomed and sexually abused by a teacher in high school. And that's kind of a secret, but the actual secret is that I drive by his house and park nearby. And any time that I'm home, I live out of state now. Any time that I come in state, I either tell my family that I'm further away than I am so that I can find time to sit there or I will do it on the way to somewhere else. I don't even really know if he lives there anymore. And I don't even really know what the goal of it is, but something about being able to sit where I think he lives maybe makes me feel like I have a bit more control over the situation. And I've never seen him, but yeah, I, I drive there and I sit there and sometimes if I have a bad night seeing people from high school who remind me of him, 
and what I went through, I will drive right there and sit in my car and cry while looking at his house. That's that. Bye. I'm so full of rage when I think about gun violence. What I want to happen is I want these motherfucking Republicans, I want their fucking grandkids to be killed. I want their fucking grandkids slaughtered in these fucking school shootings. That is the only goddamn way anything is going to change. I do not feel guilty for saying that, even though I realize I'm a fucking sociopath for saying it. These grandkids will probably grow up to be fucking pieces of shit anyway. You know I'm fucking right. The only way anything's going to change is slaughtering of children in this country. I'm choking on rage. I can't handle it. My secret is that I hold a lot of resentment towards my mother, but I'm still nice to her face. The reason is because when I was 19, I became pregnant with my, at the time, fiance's child. I wasn't completely decided, but I was leaning towards keeping the child and was kind of getting excited for it. When I told my parents, my mom broke down crying and screaming, saying, no, no, please, no, don't do this to me. You can't do this. And she just kept repeatedly cry, screaming that for an hour. <laughs> a week or two later, she told me that me telling her I was pregnant was probably worse news than if someone had called and told her I'd died in a car wreck. She would rather have heard I was dead than that I'd ruined my life by getting pregnant. I didn't end up keeping the baby. Even though that was my decision in the end, I can never really look at my mother the same after she told me those things. I had an abortion about a year ago, and when I see young mothers specifically and their children in public, looking happy at the swimming pool or even the grocery store. I sometimes have to go to the bathroom and cry about it because I realize that that could have been me and I made a massive mistake. Hi, I'm 23 years old and I know a lot of people refer to themselves as old souls, but I feel like I am the newest soul that has ever come across the universe. Like, as a child, when people would tell me things, I would take them to the literal absolute meaning. As I've grown into an adult, I feel like I'm the last to figure out how things are done in every way, like socially or like going to school and getting a job. It's not come naturally to me in any way. I mean, after I've had some experience in this world, I feel like eventually I really think I like have a clue of what's going on. And then suddenly I'm hit with the realization that I know no one knows what's going on, but I feel like I'm at the tail end of everything. It's really hard to be alive. I, I enjoy being alive. I don't mean it like, it's just hard and everyone's doing their best. It's crazy sometimes.
Hello, I am compelled to calling in. It's not to share a secret. It's in response to the lady who was talking about how insignificant our lives are in a grand scheme of things and that we are a speck in the universe. In a hundred years from now, even less people will give a fuck about anything you do. So just live. I needed to answer because I appreciate everyone's perspectives and obviously we're coming from different places and feeling the way we are for different reasons but I found what she was saying you know true to a point but also kind of sad and I thought sure in the grand scheme of things a lot that we do seem insignificant but when you really think about it in a deeper sense everything we do has a ripple effect right like for example if my co-worker is having a really bad day I could say things to him or her that uplifts him or her and makes him feel better. And because he feels better, he's having a better day and his thoughts may be more positive. Let's say when I listened to that lady's perspective, I was feeling depressed, that my life was worth nothing and that I have mental health and depression issues. And you know, I'm like, you know what? She's right, I'm just going to kill myself because in the end it doesn't matter. That's what I'm talking about. And then if I kill myself and uh, my kids are out of a mother and then because they're out of a mother, their lives are taking a different trajectory. You know, so even if a hundred years no one remembers me, I have a pretty profound impact on people around me depending on how I act towards them. Could be strangers, could be loved ones. I just wanted to say that. Because in the end, you think your life doesn't matter. I think it does because that's the human condition to want to give meaning to things or else what's the point? And that being said, I did agree on some points and I do agree that we should live fully, leave our loved ones something great and plan for the end of our lives. I think it was Oprah who was talking with Maya Angelou saying, I hope I leave a good legacy to this world and it's very important to me. And I think Maya Angelou told her, you have no idea what your legacy is. Take care, everyone. Hi, long-time listener, first-time caller. For the longest time, I was like, I don't think I have any secrets. And then I was like, been listening to this discussion around psychedelics. And I'm like, oh, I have some secrets. I work as a therapist. And I also work as an underground psychedelic therapist or guide. And I just wanted to respond. I just want to validate everything that everyone is saying. It's one of the most profoundly powerful experiences, depending on the medicine, the situation, the setting, the practitioner that you're working with. It can be the single most powerful experience of your life. It changed mine forever in the best possible way. And it continues to to this day. And it's not for everyone. Not all of us are resourced enough in our lives with people, friends, community to handle surfacing trauma. There's a reason why our body puts this away and traps it up until we're ready to face it. It's not really always wise to go digging. That said, I do my work in secret and I know it's illegal 
And there's this big push now with this sort of zeitgeist for things to become legal for psychedelic therapy. I think that's the worst thing that could happen. This is indigenous medicine, and I think it needs to be decriminalized. But once we legalize it, it gets thrown to a capitalist market that's just going to destroy it. The same way it did with cannabis, it's obnoxious. So my secret is I'm pro-psychedelic, but anti-legalization. All right, thanks for hearing my secret. Bye. That's it for the Secrets Hotline, for now. Of course, you can leave your own secret or family lore story at secretshotline.org by calling 929-SECRETS, or you can also just record something yourself and email it to me at contact at secretshotline.org. If you change your mind for whatever reason, just call back within 24 hours, and I'll make sure your call doesn't get into the podcast. And if you can, find a quiet place to record and don't use a speakerphone or hands-free device. The quality of the call is much better when you don't. This episode featured the music of Will Bolton, Nonturn, and Esmeralda. Check the show notes for the full playlist. The Secrets Hotline is a labor of love and radio and made possible thanks to our subscribers. If you want to join the group of fine, beautiful people who make this show possible, go to loveandradio.org slash member to support us on Patreon or just subscribe in Apple Podcasts for access to special, ad-free, extended episodes. I'm Nicholas Sardine, Punch Punch Vanderkolk. Thanks for listening.